Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Can we all agree that when it comes to some COVID protocols, not all, but some, the City of Milwaukee Health Department is making it up as they go along. The the breaking news today, again from the world of sports, is that the Brewers have announced that they have been given the go-ahead starting next Monday night to bring back tailgating to American Family Field. Now, I, th- this makes perfect sense to me. But what really never made any sense, and we talked about it when it first happened, was the order by the Milwaukee County Health Department that you could not have tailgating. See, here was what always struck me. You can drive in your car to a baseball game with two or four people. And presumably, you know, you don't have, nobody's going to make you wear a, a mask. Nobody's going to take your temperature as you're driving in the car. So you got four people in a car together closed in spaces you drive to the ball game you park in the parking lot when you go into the game you are going to be sitting around those people you're going to be in close contact with them it never ever ever made any sense at all following the science or whatever to say that all right those people that you've driven to the game with those people that you're going to be sitting with you can't tailgate (laughs) you can't get outside of the car stand in an outside in an outside and, and grill out burgers or brats or whatever you want to do it was always a dumb rule and I understand some of you wanted to defend it because there's this COVID paranoia that's going on, but it never made any sort of sense at all. If you were going to allow people to come to the game together to say that you couldn't be outside throwing a baseball back and forth or grilling behind your car, it, it just it made no sense at all. No sense logically, no sense following the science, just flat out no sense at all. But it was one of these sort of knee-jerk reactions, the kind of virtue signaling that we're starting to see now as we move through the final stages of the pandemic and more and more people get vaccinated. Never made any sense at all. And my big beef with this isn't so much the tailgating, but it's these public health officials, when you come down with rules, some of which make perfect sense, but when you just have these knee-jerk reactions to things without thinking it through. The CDC, when they originally said, okay, people who have been vaccinated, have both your vaccinations and waited vaccinations and waited the appropriate period, well, we still discourage you to travel. And the the question was, why? Give, it, give us a scientific-based reason. Show us numbers that justify that. And the answer was, humana, humana, humana. And, and now they've said, well, you're, you're right. There, there's no reason why you can't have it. If you're going to try to enlist people to follow different rules, you have to be explain, able to explain clearly and concisely, and I think showed numbers and documents, not different th- sort of theoretical theories as to why something's going to be a problem. And the no tailgating rule never, ever, ever made any sense. 
And I, I think now they've, they've decided to abandon it because they recognize it makes no sense at all. The other thing, and I talked about this the other day, Saturday night, I'm watching the baseball game at home on, on television, and at least there's a number of the people that I, I see that are on TV, they don't have masks on, and it's not while they're actively eating and drinking. A couple of people, one guy in particular, he wanted to be seen on TV. So he's sitting next to somebody else. He's not wearing the mask for the entire game. Well, okay, I understand they have the mask rules, and you should follow the rules because they're the rules. But the question is, does that rule make any sense? That guy who's sitting next to somebody else, they, they, they came together. I don't know if they're family members, father and son, best friends, whatever, but, but they came together. So chances are they're leaving together, and they're not going to be wearing masks. Now, I understand if you want to have the mask rule when you're going into the concourse and we might be coming into contact with other people, but as applied, it really doesn't make any sense. Now, I think we're a long ways away from doing away with the mask rules, but when you think about it, okay, why why do you have a rule that says four members from the same family? There was another instance that I saw. It was a father, a mother, and it looked like two kids. The dad wasn't wearing a mask. Well, okay, they're, they're together at their house. They're together in their car. Why do you have the mask rule? Now, I understand it's easier one size fits all, and that's what Major League Baseball does. But if you want to follow the science, it's difficult to justify, which brings me to uh, something I, I tweeted out. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 couple different tweets, but one that really caught my attention. March 10th, so going on, going on a month ago, March 10th, uh, the state of Texas announced that statewide they were going to eliminate all their COVID restrictions. No more statewide mask rule. No more limitations on gatherings and things of the like. Remember that they did that? Now, local communities and local businesses still have the right to put in mask rules or whatever. But statewide, there were no regulations. And if you will remember the hysteria that followed this, oh, my gosh, this is going to be the end of the world. You're going to see these numbers just absolutely spike in Texas. It's going to be absolutely terrible. How irresponsible of Texas to do this. Remember those arguments? And you might have made the argument. So I was really curious to see where what happens after that. Well, the first two weeks, there was no appreciable increase in the number of COVID cases in Texas. But OK, maybe that's a small sample. Well, now we've gone about a month and I have a link to a story that's out there today. Um, it appears in a number of papers. Five states right now account for almost half the new COVID infections in the country. Five states, 44% total. Those five states, New York, Michigan, Florida, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. 44% of the nation's new COVID-19 infections, almost 200,000 new cases in the latest available seven-day period. All right. That's it. What is noticeable about that? Texas is not on the list. Texas, despite being larger in population than Michigan and Pennsylvania and New Jersey, Texas is not on that list. Um, matter of fact, Texas, which is vastly larger than, say, Michigan, reporting fewer than half of Michigan's number of daily infections. So what conclusion can we draw from that? Well, maybe, just maybe, the science and the statistics are telling us that restrictions 
are no longer the key to preventing the spread of the virus. What 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 could be the key? Well, I, I think it's pretty clear. It, it's it's getting people vaccinated, and it, it's the ability to get shots in as many people's arms as possible as quickly as possible. But this idea that we're going to close down stuff as a way to tie to stop the spread of the virus, at least in the real world, if you compare it again to look what Texas is doing, that, that's that's not playing out. That is not how it is working in the real world. So maybe if we follow the science, we follow the statistics, it tells us where we have to go next. Just saying. When we come back, let's analyze what happened yesterday at the polls. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, yesterday was an election day. Some interesting results. First of all, shout out to my former colleague, John Jagler, who was one of our news guys and a host of Wisconsin's Morning News for a while, left the business to go into politics. Very successful run as a state representative. Yesterday, he won a special election. He joins, goes into the state Senate. This was a special election to fill the seat held by uh, now Congressman Scott Fitzgerald. He will fill out, Jagler will fill out the balance of, of Fitzgerald's term, which I think is like, you know, a couple years now. Um, won the seat, you know, Overwhelmingly did a very, very good job. So congratulations to John Jagler. He is a very good guy. Um, interestingly, the Milwaukee, in Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee, there was a, we didn't talk a lot about school board races because they're, they're so localized and of course our audience, I'd say it, it's across the, the listening area, but it's also across the state and it's actually across the country. But interestingly enough, you had two people that were running for spots on the Milwaukee school board who were supported by the teachers union who were avowed socialists they were running um, on a socialist state slate and were backed by the Milwaukee Teachers Union. Uh, the Teachers Union has decided we're going to get into bed with these people and run as socialists. Um, all right. And they had hoped to be the first openly socialist office, office winners in Milwaukee. Both of the – and it's, by the way, when the Teachers Union backs you – in a school board race, you are almost guaranteed that you will win. But what happened yesterday is both of the socialist candidates, backed by the teachers' union, both of them lost. So that, I think, is pretty clearly a it, – it's something that if, if you're one of the people still choosing to pay dues to the teachers' union, it, it might be a fair question asking, what the heck is going on here? Um, in the appellate court race – and I, I had – I I'd made an intentional decision not to talk about this because I knew one of the candidates pretty well, but I, I think it would have to be an upset. Uh, Shelley Grogan, who is a law clerk for the state Supreme Court, she she unseated uh, Circuit Court Judge Jeff Davis, who was a longtime litigator at Quarles and Brady, which is a big law firm in downtown Milwaukee. Um, it, Davis had been appointed to this post by by Tony Evers, and part of the campaign tried to cast Davis as this this big time lefty and and the truth is he wasn't i mean jeff davis's father um was the the former head of rockwell Don Davis, which was what the company that ended up taking over Alan Bradley, and they're big Republican contributors. I've known Jeff Davis for a long, long time, and he, he was a corporate litigator. 
I, I never actually understood why, at his age, he wanted to be an appellate court judge, but he but he did. In any event, this was cast as a political race, and the candidate portraying herself as the more conservative candidate ended up winning. A couple people were, were especially the people I know in the legal community, were appalled by this, saying, oh, this is just, just terrible that this politics are coming in. And the only thing I could say to that was, have you not been watching what has been going on? For example, in Milwaukee County, Scott Walker, when he was governor, appointed a number of quality candidates to the Milwaukee County Circuit Court bench. Almost all of those candidates, when they had to run for election, lost, not because they were bad candidates, not because they were unqualified candidates, but simply because they had been appointed by Scott Walker, which led to some real doozies getting on the Milwaukee County uh, Circuit Court bench. So th- this idea that, well, it's been politics that's been interjected in it, well, it, it, a lot of it is politics. And I guess one of the things maybe for people who aspire to the bench, and one of the lessons are, is that you will, at least for the foreseeable future, if you're seeking an appointment, you, you have to understand that you're going to be linked to the person that appoints you. So if that means you, you've got a Republican governor who appoints you in a Democratic stronghold like Milwaukee County, understand that you're going to get an opponent and you're not necessarily going to be viewed based on your qualifications, but you're going to be viewed on who appointed you. So that that is kind of the lesson moving forward. And um, finally, the statewide election. Now let me kind of tee this up here because uh, here, here's the here's the text that I got from somebody. It says, let me pull this. Uh, Jeff, any comment about the shellacking the right wing um, the right wing nut candidate Kerr got yesterday? Okay, this is welcome to my world. Okay, this is the state superintendent of school race, and Jill Underly um, ended up winning over Deborah Kerr. Jill Underly was the uh, superintendent of the Pecatonica School District, which is a real tiny school district outside of Madison. Um, former Brown Deer School Superintendent Deborah Kerr, she was she was running, and she was the more conservative choice. Although I would not to classify Deborah Kerr as a right wing nut candidate is just really bizarre. But but here's what happened: as I said yesterday, the big distinction between these two candidates was that Deb Kerr believed that. I don't know, poor children should have a chance to get out of failing school systems, and she's a supporter of school choice, and Underly was not. Underly was supported by the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. She was supported by the Democrat-funded um, attack group called uh, One Wisconsin Now through one of their like satellite sort of agencies. And I, I think that the spent, there was over a million dollars that was spent in that race, including about 85% of it was spent in either trying to advance Underly's cat- uh, campaign or a- attacking Deb Kerr. $700,000 in th- this kind of dark money spending to tash Deb Kerr. I, I, you know, so my, my comment was, yeah, well, when, when you have a million dollars almost in, in dark money spent against you in attack ads, it's going to have an influence. This is not a surprise. I mean, as long as I've been around Wisconsin politics, when it comes to the state superintendent of school race, it, it's pretty much whoever whoever the teachers union, the organized teachers union, decide to support and put a whole bunch of money in, they're going to be the ones that end up winning. And to me, the loser in this, as always, is going to be that the kids who are, especially kids who are trapped in some of these failing schools, who if the school superintendent would get her way, 
aren't going to be able to get out of it. Now, the reality is school choice, I think, for the moment is here to stay. Unless there's some sort of sea change in the legislature, it's not going to be going away. So there's limits as to what the, again, uh, the school superintendent could do. But I'm not surprised by this. I think the smart money said all along that Deb Kerr was going to, she was going to be struggling to, to win because you had, I mean, just history was against her. So it's not necessarily a surprise. And now we're going to forget about the school superintendent for the next four years until the next election comes around. That's kind of my take on this. It is interesting because I think yesterday, if you look at some of the other local school board races and some of the local municipal races, what you see is some more grassroots activity on the part of conservatives recognizing that, you know, you got to get people out to the polls. You've got to do a better job of organizing say than was done in the 2020 or the 2018 elections and I think that happened to an extent yesterday no real huge surprises that were out there but um, we, we move on and now no more elections at least for a little while back with more in just a minute this is Jeff Wagner this is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ A year ago, the pandemic was taking hold. Millions were laid off. The stock market plunged. Investor confidence was low. As we recover, what will you do differently with your plan and your investments? Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management and WTMJ's Steve Scafidi shared advice and tips during a special webinar, Investing in a Post-COVID World. If you missed the event and want to watch the recording or submit questions to Annex, just visit the features page at WTMJ.com. All right, some, some news on the Summerfest front. Now, Summerfest, of course, was originally scheduled to run over three weekends um, in late June and early July, recognizing that we, we might not be ready to open up fully by then, or at least allowed to open up fully by health departments, etc. Summerfest kicked back their festival to, to September. One of the questions I had when I had an opportunity to talk to Executive Director John Smiley was, what, what about the bands? How is that going to be? Because here's here's the issue when you stage a, a big concert, a big event like Summerfest. Even bands have to decide, especially like the large headliners for the American Family Amphitheater, etc. They, they schedule tours. So what happens is they, they don't typically just come to Milwaukee to play Summerfest. They're they're in Minneapolis one night, and then two nights later they're in Milwaukee. Then they're in Chicago two nights later. Then they're in Detroit the next night. So that that's what you have to do to make money from the perspective of the performers with these big tours. You you have to be able to move from town to town. That's why a lot of times when you buy the T-shirts, you'll see, hey, I attended the you know Jimmy Buffett tour, you know, 2016, and they'll have all these venues on the back of it. My concern all along has been what's going to happen if more and more of these entertainers decide that they're going to call off their, their tours. Kenny Chesney did that with Miller Park. Kenny, Miller Park, American Family Field. Kenny Chesney was, of course, scheduled to, as part of a tour, play there. Well, he ended up canceling all his tour dates because a, a number of the venues just weren't going to be open and they weren't going to be open to capacity. I bring this up because Summerfest, still on for September, but um, the, the second headliner, in this case, pop star Khalid, who had been booked to perform, um, well, he's he'd been booked to perform June of 24th of 2021, and um, what's happened is he's now, he's backed out. He's uh, apparently canceling his tour as well. Halsey also canceled her tour. Now, there, th- I know Summerfest is 
still hoping to go ahead, and I hope that they're able to go ahead. But some things might be beyond their control, including what about performers if they decide that it just doesn't make sense to tour in 2021? That, I think, is the biggest problem they have, and we're not going to know the answer to that for a while. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. My producer, Gru, is telling me, all right, our out time is in about eight minutes. We have another commercial break, so you're, you're kind of up against the clock. Let me call your attention to two things, and if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got links to both of them. Um, the San Francisco school board that in January had been unable to figure out how to kit, get kids back into in-person learning, they, they decided that they had to rename 44 schools because, heaven forbid, they were named after George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson and Francis Scott Key. The list goes on and on. This brought a huge backlash, including from people on the left who said, man, the, the problem with doing it this way is it just this plays into everybody's image. Of, of just how crazy liberals are in San Francisco. Well, interestingly, earlier this week, the school board backed off on that and has announced that they have tabled, at least for the moment, the decisions to rename schools. They're going to take it up later on. doesn't mean that they're not going to do it. It just means that temporarily they are putting it off. And if you want a story and read a story about it, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620. Something we're going to talk about tomorrow. I mentioned earlier this week, CBS and 60 Minutes which disgraced itself a couple decades ago with when Dan Rather, right before the George Bush election campaign, ran this bogus story about his Texas National Guard service. Lots of people got fired, and it ended up in Dan Rather kind of leaving CBS in disgrace. They're doing it, and they have done it again with this hit piece on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. They're not backing down, but even a lot of Florida Democrats are coming up and saying that this is really, really bad. We'll talk about it tomorrow, but if you want a head start on the story, got a piece out of the Washington Post, of all places, that just kind of, it's a head-scratcher going, man, CBS and uh, 60 Minutes, they're really beclowning themselves. You can follow, see that on Twitter as well, at Jeff Wagner 620. Back with more in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, Brewers baseball coming up in less than a minute. I'm back 12 noon tomorrow, full show. We do it all again. So I was listening to the Brewers game last night, and you know who, who knew? They, 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 they won for the first time since opening day, and for the first time, I, I think, all year, they scored, they scored runs in the first inning. They actually took a lead. Who, who knew if you get ahead early... Generally speaking, it helps you maybe figure out how you're going to win a game. I just that, That's great strategy. So hopefully the Brewers will be able to duplicate that success, take two out of three from Chicago, and then uh, move on to St. Louis. Okay, I'm out of time. Brewers baseball is coming up. Talk to you tomorrow. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.